Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the first LFC lecture of 2021. My name is Paavali Koivula, and I will be chairing the event. Today, we have the honor of welcoming Mr. Jyrki Katainen, president of Citra, to discuss the megatrends of the future as part of the Leadership for Change lectures that bring together skillful leaders with experience in dealing with change. Today's societal challenges are complex and change processes require joint efforts of different sectors of society, which reflects the wide variety of LFC lecturers. The lectures are offered by the master's degree program in leadership for change. Mr. Katainen is an alumnus of Tampere University and currently the president of the Finnish Innovation Fund and think tank Citra. Between 2014 to 2019, Mr. Katainen served as the European Commission Vice President for Jobs, Growth, Investments and Competitiveness prior to which he was the Prime Minister of Finland. His impressive career puts him in a unique position to reflect on the megatrends that will shape our lives in the future and we look grateful for having him here with us today. After his lecture, there will be an interview session hosted by the organizing team and the audience is encouraged to submit questions after Mr. Katainen's presentation. The selected audience questions will be asked towards the end of the event. You can either write your questions to the chat and our interviewer will present the questions or you can use Zoom's raise hand feature if you want to speak out your question. Please be reminded that the event will be recorded by our team. Now the floor is yours, Mr. Katainen. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have a chance to participate to this event. And I'm, as, as you mentioned, I'm a proud alumni of Tampere University. So this additional reason to be very satisfied to have a chance to discuss with, with uh, students and whoever will participate to this event. So um, I'd like to start by introducing Citra. Uh, first, because uh, I, I know that many people may know Citra, or at least you have some sort of uh, understanding what Citra is doing, but uh, not necessarily all. So Citra is a future house, future house of Finland, which means that we are think tank, experimentation think and tank. Our basic uh, aim and duty is to uh, to promote systemic changes in carefully selected areas and in order to make it possible to do systemic change we need different tools and and the first one of those tools is our think role so citra functions as a classic think tank but we are not only a think tank we do a lot of experimentations and pilot projects together with companies public authorities and civil society and finally uh, we develop and promote change making capacity or ability or capability to make change and this uh, is what connect role means so we we organize events and education for change maker makers 
in order to, to share the view of the future and make it possible to, to uh, make change in different areas. So um, I'll give you uh, a short example of uh, our current uh, project, which has already uh, had a positive impact in terms of uh, enabling make change and, and make systemic change. Citra brought circular economic concept to Finland some six, seven, six, seven years ago. We, uh, we were the organization which helped then Finnish government to uh, adopt the first ever made circular economy roadmap, national circular economy roadmap. It was the first in a, in a globe. And since that we have carried out a significant amount of um, concrete experimentations and pilot projects together with the um, private sector and public authorities uh, to promote circular economy. Now circular economy has quite well rooted to our society and we are looking at new areas uh, to concentrate on. So Citra always do exit once uh, some experimentations or, or the systemic change uh, proves to be ready to fly by its own wings. Citra is active mostly in Finland, but also abroad. We are close partner to the European Commission on various fields. For instance, in regulatory side, we, we are advising Commission on, on um, single market project, how to make circular economy friendly uh, business regulation uh, better, etc. We have some 160 employees and our annual budget varies between 28 to 30 million uh, euros. Our financing comes from returns of our endowment capital, which was given uh, by the Parliament of Finland in 1967 when it was founded. We are not a research center, neither we do not do peer-reviewed basic research as uh, the universities are doing. Our think, do and connect tank. We have a special role in knowledge making. So 70% of our annual resources has gone to the experimentations and pilot projects. 16% to connecting people and 11% classic think tank job. This um, allocation of resources also explains that we doesn't want to be in the fields of basic research. Instead, we, we do what classic think tanks do, plus we, we do experimentations and, and pilot projects. But let's turn now to the megatrends of our future, if, if you could put the first slide on or the second actually. Yes, that, that's the one. Excuse me, just, just a second. Okay, let's continue. 
So um, this picture illustrates uh, megatrends which were published a year ago. Citra, one of the Citra's uh, duty is to do foresight job. And megatrend report is one of our key product. We publish megatrends every second year. And this was done last year. So megatrends uh, can be uh, seen as a driving force of change or forces of change which can which happens or which we can realize quite quite uh, obviously they will have uh, some impact to our future but uh, they are not self-fulfilling prophecies but uh, it's quite obvious that these driving forces um, will have some impact to our societies and, and lives uh, one can use them uh, for whatever the purpose is because they are dynamic driving forces or then one can influence them or then just ignore them we can also push them to a certain direction or adapt to them they can be problems or uh, opportunities depending on how do we see them or whether we want to use them or whether we want to to push them to certain direction and they help us to identify potential tensions in our society when looking at this uh, picture uh, the megatrends are those which are written in bold text and dots are illustrating potential tensions uh, which may arise if uh, these trends are ignored or we are not using them sustainably. I will um, touch upon some of these megatrends but I, I won't present them all in order to keep my presentation concise but we can of course discuss the also the rest of them in in the discussion session i will start from the middle ecological reconstruction is a matter of urgent urgency um, this may sound like a no-brainer it's self-clear we all know that climate change uh, has already affected our society and we have scientifically proven uh, uh, research or, or views what will happen to the globe unless we manage to to uh, to do something that stress climate change also the biodiversity loss is is a reality is a reality it's less talked and less popular matter than climate change but it's becoming as burning issue in people's mind as uh, as the climate change is currently because uh, if looking at the whole world there is approximately one million species and organisms that are under a threat in in finland uh, close to 12% of all known species and organisms are under a threat. 
and at least to me and to many uh, to many uh, other people we have been thought at school that in nature every organism and species have some special function and nobody knows where where it goes to uh, threshold uh, where where the loss of uh, nature or species uh, will destroy the ecosystem and, and which uh, causes serious trouble also to human life. The main reason for nature loss, the biodiversity loss, is the exploitation and processing of natural resources. So it means that we need a systemic change, which I'm going to talk about more later when, when talking about the economy. It's not enough to set up or found only new conservation areas. They are very important and we need probably them more, but it's, it's not enough. So we supposed to be, we should be more worried about the potential break even when, um, for instance, nature stop, stops cleaning water or soil doesn't absorb water and there are increasing amount of floods or pollination doesn't function naturally and it must be replaced by, by um, technology and we have to do it mechanically or where it goes to line when the loss of some species will have significant um, uh, uh, problems to human health. So this ecolo ecological construction will be one of the driving forces in our future. And it's also a matter of uh, tension and clashes between different groups of people and different regions and, and countries unless we manage to take uh, sustainably uh, sustainable and um, systemic changes. Whether we like it or not, this matter is one influencer already today, but especially in, in, in the future. This gives me uh, a chance to jump to the second mega trend, which is the economy's seeking direction. There has been, before COVID crisis, there was a growing discussion in the world um, about the role of capitalism. We were talking about the critics of capitalism, but uh, nowadays we don't talk about that that much because of uh, other crises have taken over. And I think it's, um, it's good, especially in Nordic countries. I understand where this debate started from. It started mostly from, uh, from Anglo-Saxon cultures where the welfare society is not in the same level as it, as it is in the Nordic countries. So um, inequality was a rising matter and actually it was um, uh, mentioned as one of the most, uh, one of the biggest risks in the world economy by the World Economic Forum a few, few years back. So it's still present and it's a relevant point, but we should um, 
add the sustainability to the whole picture so that we could make uh, informed choices if we want to, to change uh, capitalism or the market economy. Around this topic, there's been uh, for years discussions on the role of economic growth. There are uh, thinkers and people who are representing degrowth type of thinking that we should adapt our societies to the situation where economy is not growing or, or it should be significantly more modest than, than what we are envisaging. But I, I must say that I, I don't share this view. We have already now several examples of the years when the economy hasn't been growing and it hasn't, hasn't led to any, 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 any good. So also when looking at our challenges, for instance, uh, environmental challenges or, or um, climate change challenges, we need growing economy which finance all these trans uh, transitions. So um, I would concentrate more on decoupling economic growth and CO2 emissions and overconsumption of natural resources rather than limiting the growth or envisaging zero growth or negative growth. How to do this decoupling is a million euro question. Unless we manage to do it, there are only bad options. First, we crush to the wall because of the natural disaster. Or then we have to accept significantly lower standard of living and social misery. So I happen to believe that that this decoupling is doable if we understand uh, to do right things. So uh, we need a systemic change. And for me, circular economy uh, represents a promising avenue. It's not a solution alone, but it shows that we can do systemic changes within market economy and let, let it um, do corrective work and uh, let turn normal market economy, which is linear market economy towards a circularity, which is much more sustainable. Only 9% of all materials exploited ends up to reuse or recycle, which means that it's a waste of money. And from economic point of view, uh, it's a huge opportunity because uh, exploitation of natural resources is not uh, economically free. It costs a lot of money. So it's supposed to be easier and cheaper to use materials which already exist in our economy. It's only a matter of, uh, of uh, market regulation. So in other terms, 90% of materials are currently single-use. <clears throat> so uh, in my mind, the answer uh, when we talk about this decoupling is the better regulated market economy. Market economy doesn't have values. It only has features, which have proven to be very, very effective. 
market economy, which has been developed um, in a spirit of <coughs> linear model, take, make, use, and, and dispose uh, type of thinking has proven to be very effective. Why it has functioned in this linear model? It's because we or decision makers have decided to, to use this kind of model, not intentionally necessary, but this, uh, this is how the market has been regulated for, for decades. So one could say that market economy is hardworking assistant and we must uh, give it a new task to become more sustainable, to produce more sustainable products and, and business models based on circular economy thinking. I became convinced of this kind of thinking when I still was in the European Commission. In the Commission I was uh, uh, irresponsible of uh, circular economy policy. When I came to the Commission, circular economy was just a minor uh, policy area and it was seen only from the environmental perspective. But during the last five years, uh, Juncker Commission changed the way to look at circular economy and it became a part of single market policy and trade policy. So we thought that, that there is circular economy only if there is profit making economy and we have to help economy to change to become circular so we needed to concentrate more on market regulation and it was quite quite encouraging job because uh, in front of my office there was always every single day there was always a line of um, of business people and, and industrial people and civil society people who who wanted to discuss with me on better way to regulate the market, to make circular economic business models more profitable and capable to compete with, um, uh, with this current linear model. So, so I, I, I believe in this kind of thinking. So uh, the main, main thing is to, to understand that market economy is effective tool, but it must be guided and it must be given values which we represent. The biodiversity loss has not been connected to, bio, uh, to circular economy as well as, uh, for instance, CO2 emission reduction policies have. But I believe that same type of thinking could be incorporated to address biodiversity loss. Because um, the, the main reason, which I mentioned earlier, for biodiversity loss is the exploitation of raw materials and processing raw materials. So why, why not to, to use the market forces or market power to address this, this problem? I give you one simple example of, of this kind of thinking. Citra has been cooperating with, uh, with um, Baltic Sea Action Group and, and some other public authorities um, in the project which name is Carbon Action. 
in this project, uh, we invited 120 farmers to look at new uh, farming methods. And they changed change slightly the traditional farming methods. For instance, they turned over the land or the soil less than they, they used to be. And this led to the situation where the soils, uh, the number of species and organisms in the soil uh, increased significantly. So the biodiversity of the soil became better. And as, as a result of this, the grassroots got thicker and longer. And once grassroots got thicker and longer, they absorbed more carbon. So we were talking about carbon farming. So the soil was absorbing more carbon. And as a byproduct, farmers got better harvest. So everybody won, basically. So by doing change, systemic changes, even though minor changes, to the way the economy, in this case farming, functions, we got two positive outcomes. First of all, the soil absorbed more carbon. It became better carbon sink. And on the other hand, um, those who did the work, farmers, got better harvest. So this, as I said, this is a very simple uh, example, but uh, it uh, encourages us to look at what else we could do in order to change the way the economy uh, functions. Now I'd like to say a couple of words on the second megatrend. Relation power is strengthening and, and then technology is becoming embedded in everything. I, I'll be short with these two uh, topics because then we could mo move forward and we can continue discussions depending on what you want to, to discuss about. So relation power could also be called as a power of networks. It means that it's not only the parliament or the government or employers organization and employees organizations who uses power today, but um, the use of power has democratized much more than, than what was the case a few years back. For instance, the role of social media has became uh, very decisive and very influential when using power. And, um, and social media has enabled to, to give voice for, for those who didn't have public voice be before. It has also had a, lots of negative impacts because the voice or freedom of speech can be used many different ways. I don't mean to say that social media is at the core of all this, but it just illustrates uh, some physically proven change, which has a significant impact to the way the democracy is functioning. Also, the role of public institutions have changed. They are challenged much more often. Even the existence of, uh, of public institutions has um, uh, become a question and for instance, targeting journalists or targeting government officials or judges is one sign 
of of this uh, this um, questioning of uh, public institutions. So the truth has become relative. There is not any more commonly shared uh, understanding what is true and what is not. One could say that this is positive because you can always question what is what is true, but uh, there it, it obviously has also negative impacts if everything is relative. For instance, human rights is it is it like a fundamental value or is it also relative? Artificial intelligence and use of data brings additional new angles to the future of democracy. Also, big companies are using significantly power, especially those companies which are at the knot of, uh, of uh, uh, knot position of uh, different information streams. There are, there's also companies which are crucial for freedom of speech or which are providing connections. So if this big company has vested interests, either political or, or other vested interests, they might become the position where they can bypass democratically elected representatives. Also, disinformation or meddling to the dem democratic processes has become easier. One can um, jeopardize the stability of given country without shooting a shot, without purging the powder. So, so um, one could say that some possible and classic virtues of democracy has become a source of instability and and um, and, uh, and security threat so the question is what is the future of uh, democracy like how to increase participation how to keep people on board in the time when it's supposed to be easier, but also in the time when, for instance, public discourse has become uh, more aggressive. Um, liberal democracy, as we have known it, is based on uh, rule of law, written uh, rules and laws, but also to number of uh, unwritten agreements or rules. What happens if these unwritten rules and agreements between the citizens are not respected? That's a big question because liberal democracy does not want to cover every single corner of human life by law. It's based on, on belief that people respect each other. There are fundamental value basis like respect of human rights, uh, which uh, are partially protected by law, but mostly run or exercised by the free will of people. What happens if, if we, we lose this kind of uh, commonly agreed ground of, of uh, unwritten rules? Actually, this has already happened partially in some countries more than in the others. 
but um, but uh, this will be a big question of the future. Uh, finally, a few words about this technology is embedding is becoming embedded in everything. I just raised a few keywords which might raise your interest, and we can talk later on more about this. One, uh, in my mind, the two main drivers of the economic growth and economic development and societal changes are circular economy, everything I uh, um, uh, described earlier about this screening economy. And the second is the rise of data-based economy. What I mean by data-based economy is that, as we all know, we are producing huge amount of data every single day as a customer of various applications. And, and there, there is a huge amount of public data, but also a huge amount of private data available. And the question is, what are the rules uh, according which uh, sector plus public authorities can utilize our data and use our data and, and, and use it for developing better services? Currently, we have, uh, if simplifying the matter, two different ways to deal with the data. The first one is the model of China, Chinese model where the government owns both public and private data and uses for its own purposes. Their private has play a role, for instance. And the second one is the one to which we all have adapted. It's, uh, it's been created by some technology giants who are forerunners of technological development, and they have created these rules to be suitable for their own business model. I don't mean to say that that uh, they have created rules in bad faith, not at all. They have created rules because they can do so. And uh, they have developed their own business models and, and part of their business model is certain type of behavior and rule to use data. So in other, in other words, uh, there's no market anywhere, anywhere in the world where uh, data would have been democratically regulated and in other terms we don't have um, ethically sound uh, democratically uh, decided market regulation on data data is a raw material nothing more data um, is just like whatever raw material, like minerals or biomass or whatever. And, and when looking at data from this perspective, it's self-clear that we need uh, ethically sound way to use data, in other terms, market regulation. And this is a big issue of our time, how to do it. Luckily, European Union has started this process. So, um, there are lots of opportunities in this data economy. For instance, I, I'm pretty sure that within the next few years, we will have a lot better, much better um, public services because of, uh, of data. We have much 
easier living in, in many terms because data is uh, allowing us to get better services. It may be a big positive um, driver of more sustainable economy when the data optimizes the use of material and, and product. It may also have positive uh, element in the life between countryside and cities. But, but before we get there, we need a good basis of, uh, of uh, using data, a regulatory basis for using data. We could then jump to the next slide very quickly. Uh, okay, we can bypass this coronavirus. May, the only thing I want to say that coronavirus thing and, and the crisis may uh, fasten certain developments. And I hope so. For instance, um, when we stimulate the economy, uh, if we do it right, we can uh, make a frog leap uh, on on making economy more sustainable. So there's no point to stimulate the old economy, but there is lots of point to stimulate new, more sustainable economy. Okay, let's go further. Addition to megatrends, there are also meta trends. Uh, which um, illustrates uh, the behavior. So it has become pretty clear that we have uh, turned to post-normal times, which means that surprises and uncertainties are present every single day. So the question arises how to make our societies more resilient, whatever we face in the future. The second um, meta trend is interdependence. So even if someone wanted to build a wall around the country, it's not possible anymore because we are so interdependent in, in every single uh, area of our life. And third is complexity gap. If looking at, for instance, uh, local politicians, uh, the agenda of the, the of their work has changed entirely. They are dealing only with wicked problems, I would say, which means that there there is not simple uh, answers. Instead, there are uh, solutions which are which are not perfect. And the statementship of today is. To capable is, is capability to to make unperfect decisions because there is not perfect decisions available. So I could stop here. There there may be a couple of other slides, but we can we can uh, jump over them, and I'm I'm ready to discuss with you and answer to your questions if if I just can. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Jyrki, and um, for the excellent and insightful lecture. Now it is time to move on to the questions we have prepared for you. We will begin with a few questions of our own and then move on to the audience questions. The audience can now ask questions in the chat section. The questions will be asked by three of our team members and fellow students, Alexi, Mika and Mari. Alexi, please go ahead. Thank you, Pavali, and thank you, Mr. Katanen, for your insightful lecture. And uh, even though you didn't address the topic of COVID, 
too extensively in your lecture, we would like to begin with a question related to that. And, uh, and it goes, uh, how has COVID-19 influenced businesses' attitudes towards sustainability in their short-term activities and long-term strategies in Finland? My impression is that this COVID crisis has had a deep going impact to private sector soul. So this is just a minor remark, but uh, even the amount of, uh, of, uh, of questions to Citra to provide foresight information has increased significantly. Many private sector players or, or companies have um, contacted us and, and asked if we could help them to understand the future. So if COVID has anything positive, um, I believe it comes from the rising awareness that it's better to try to understand what are the changing forces or, or, or megatrends of the future in order to be more capable to adapt to the the surprises. So this is a general remark. But then um, I have seen uh, some encouraging examples and trends that once COVID, everybody knows that it's a living organism. So it has shown that that or biology, uh, biology can cause significant systemic harm unless we take care of it. Even though biodiversity has nothing to do with this, shots, but it just the COVID just illustrates that something of similar magnitude could happen if biodiversity loss goes too far. And uh, Maybe I'm overly optimistic, but um, I sincerely think that this has been a good disruption in a sense that sustainability has got an extra layer of credibility and it will have a positive impact to the way the market and companies are functioning. Thank you for your extensive answer. And now my peer Mika will follow with the questions. Go ahead, Mika. Thank you, Alexi, and good afternoon, everyone. I am Mika Langel, student of the uh, governance track here at the LFC master's degree program. And thank you, first and foremost, to Jyrki Katainen for taking some time to be here with us today. You discussed um, a little bit on the use of data by companies. So in that regard, I would like to ask that the following question. Citra has a program called Fair Data, Data Economy, which started in 2018 and has emphasis in fair and transparent use of data collected by businesses, while at the same time creating competitive advantage. Can you elaborate on this program and what business successes there have been during this period? Thank you very much. Yeah, indeed. Um, this program has been quite a success already now and we will continue with it. 
So the basic basic idea has been to create um, open and transparent rules and and to create a playbook for companies who are who are thinking of using data and want to use it so that it's ethically um, sustainable. And we have first of all we have created a playbook for companies and and we already now know that there is a big number of companies who have studied it and they they tried to live accordingly we have also had a special training program for smes small and medium-sized enterprises on fair use of data we have consulted these smes uh, uh, and and help them to to change their business models uh, which means that they they use more available data but so that uh, algorithms and and the use of data is transparent and and the use of clients data is based on on consent so that they are not stealing or using some random data which they manage to collect but they collect data in purpose openly transparently and and get get it from from the clients or other people uh, which allows them to use the data so this is the first phase of our program now nowadays um, we are also part of the european commission programs on um, creating fair uh, market regulation for using data. For instance, CITRA is uh, coordinating 27 member states joint action on health and welfare data, meaning that we tried to devise uh, rules according which private and public actors could share data cross border. So if if uh, putting it uh, to market terms, we try to create a single market for health data. Thank you for uh, your answer. I think uh, you really touched upon the important points. And also Citra is a great example of the path that we should continue on when dealing with this issue nationally and of course on a multilateral basis. And speaking of multilateralism, Alexia has an interesting question on that. Go ahead, Alexia. Thank you, Mika. And uh, next, we could touch a little bit the EU's EU's future role and how do you perceive it. So it goes: the EU is currently challenged on several fronts: COVID-19 pandemic, rule of law development inside the Union, decline of multilateralism, increasing misinformation, and increasing tensions in the international affairs. How do you see the role of the EU in the future in a post-pandemic world? Well, I could start from the rule of law point of view. I think our internal rule of law issues are the biggest threat to the EU or the unity of the European Union. Because uh, we can disagree on many things and the EU has uh, has become a master of uh, compromise making. It's part of our nature, part of our DNA. But what we cannot stand, or the issue in which we cannot find compromises, 
uh, are the fundamental rights, fundamental values, and rule of law is is one fundamental value. It's mentioned in the in the treaties. In unless we have uh, fundamental values which are exercised or used similar manner in all the member states, then we don't have a common basis. So I'm deeply worried about this development, especially in Hungary and Poland. Uh, we just have to sort out this problem. We have to push more pressure on the two countries. And uh, I'm very satisfied that the EU decision makers managed to create a rule of law mechanism, which gives more tools to, to EU decision makers to take care of these kind of uh, challenges. Um, but then when looking at multilateralism, once Donald Trump became a president of the United States, um, it was a cold shower on the all or over the all multilateralists. Uh, but it had a by uh, byproduct, or his behavior woken up all those who had been silently in favor of multilateral cooperation. It um, we saw this happen happening, for instance, in trade area. I was at that time in the European Commission and. Uh, I was coordinating EU's trade policy and it was fascinating to see that many countries or trading blocks with whom we had negotiated for ages on trade agreement contacted us and said that let's speed up the process. We need something which helps to promote multilateralism and trade because the world is getting crazy. So. So, for instance, uh, Prime Minister Abe from Japan stopped by uh, process when coming back from the from uh, from the Mar-a-Lago, Florida, and said that let's finalize our trade deal. And it happened six months after his his uh, visit. Also, Mercosur, meaning Argentina, Brazil, Paraguay, and Uruguay, we had negotiated with this trading bloc for, for many years, and we managed to finalize the, the deal. Also, uh, Canada and, and Mexico. So, so there is a, a strong demand for multilateralism, and Trump didn't represent this, but the rest of the world did. So I believe that this is a growing trend now, especially when Biden has taken over, and, and uh, I believe that he, he will restart this development again. But uh, certainly there are challenges. So uh, I would raise a couple of examples of challenges uh, to the EU. The first one is technological development because it changes uh, uh, trade and market. For instance, if you're looking at uh, 5G technologies or um, some other critical technologies. China is, China is one of the challengers for us because they don't always play by the book or play by the same rules as the rest of the world. Or let's put it this way, they don't play uh, by the rules of other uh, democratically driven countries. They are either subsidizing their business and this distort the market or then they are subsidizing the business uh, 
because of security interests in their mind. And, and, and trade and, and commercial activities have become more complex than before. So we must be careful when promoting free rules-based ethically driven trade, but we cannot be blue-eyed in a sense that we accept everything what we are offered. Thank you very much. Very broad answer to all of the parts of the question. Now, Mika will continue. Thank you, Alexi. And one last question on my behalf, and this time on a domestic level. Uh, Finland is currently experiencing an unprecedented level of public debt because of the coronavirus crisis. As a result, the debt to GDP ratio will grow during the 2020s. Coupled with the increasing pressure from an aging population, what measures do you think Finland must take to tackle its public finances in a sustainable way and ensure the health of the welfare system? Thank you. That's a very good and important question. Um, I must admit that I'm, um, I'm worried about the development um, because um, I, I well, let's put it this way. I understand well that during the time of economic downturn, for instance, now because of the COVID, uh, we have to stimulate the economy in order to soften the fall back. But um, I think that that the the amount of public uh, stimulus is not all necessary for stimulating the economy. There, there seems to be an idea that now it's a good excuse to to finance everything what we devise to finance, and 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 criticism is milder because um, because we can always say that that this this will stimulate the economy. This is my honest observation. So we are increasing public debt unnecessarily much. We could do a stimulus without increasing permanent expenditures. So stimulus is supposed to be temporary in nature. But all the stimulus investments or, or money used for stimulus, which is permanent in nature, one can, can question it. So this is the first observation. The second one is that, um, of course, we have to pay the debt back. Always, we have to pay debt back. So what is needed, the first one is, and this is the most important, we need uh, better growth prospects than what we can expect nowadays. So basically, I hope that, that uh, politicians could concentrate on real fact-based, evidence-based uh, instruments to, to create better incentives for growth. It's supposed not to be too ideological. I think all the political parties are in favor of sustainable economic growth. And now it's only a matter of choosing tools. So, so we need growth, otherwise we cannot pay debt back and run welfare society. Second, I cannot exclude significant savings in the future. I wouldn't raise taxes that much 
I mean, the, the overall tax rate, because it's very high in the Finland already now. But, but we, we, in, in years to come, I, I believe that there, there's need to, to do some, some budgetary cuttings and, and savings. I, I cannot give you any example of the magnitude of them, but, uh, but uh, I keep this quite obvious. And finally, and this is a positive challenge, we should look at how we could make our public services more effective, increase the access to public services and, and increase the productivity of them. And there, data economy can play a crucial role. So we just have to understand how the use of data could make services uh, more cost-effective and, and productive. All right, thank you for your uh, comprehensive answer. I think it really reflects that the need to find a compromise between the long-term and uh, the short-term in public finances. Uh, having now covered uh, some questions from the organizing team, I would like to give the floor to uh, Mari and she will take the uh, audience questions. So, uh, Mari. Thank you, Mika. So now it's time for our audience questions. My name is Mari Isagainen and I will be moderating the questions. And uh, as a reminder, you can either write your question to the chat, as many of you have already done, or you can raise your hand with the Zoom feature, and then you can ask the question by yourself when I give the permission. But let's start with the question from the chat. So, hello, Mr. Katainen. You said that regulating the economy is part of the systemic change needed to decouple economic growth and CO2 emissions. Can you expand a bit on what kind of regulations does this entail? Yeah, actually, the, yeah, I, Probably I should be more precise. The market has been regulated already now, but but the current market regulation by and large encourages linear economy. I give you an example of what we have done in order to boost circular economy. One, um, uh, one concrete example is the new waste legislation, the European waste legislation, which says that by 2030, only 5% of municipal waste can end up to landfill. So basically, there is a landfilling ban to the waste which goes above 5% of municipal waste. And what does it mean in practice? It means that uh, municipalities and public authorities must devise, and, and also private sector, of course, must devise the other use for this, uh, this waste. Hopefully, it doesn't go to incineration more than necessary. Uh, I, I hope that uh, different waste streams are separately collected and it will create a basis for secondary use of the same raw material. Uh, in the same legislation package, there's, um, by the way, uh, uh, a proposal or it's not proposal anymore, it's been, this law has been adopted. It says that uh, th there is a number of different waste uh, uh, streams which must be collected separately. And, and um, this another example, what can be done. So what I try to say 
is that um, if we want to promote, for instance, circular economy or more sustainable, sustainable economy, we have to uh, create enabling regulatory environment. Maybe one more example from the EU side. We have so-called eco-design eco directive, which means in practice that all the TV sets or or um, laptops or or other electric electronic devices are regulated uh, according to this directive. It means that in the European market you can sell products which fulfills our energy requirements. So the TV set cannot consume more than more uh, more energy than what is accepted in this particular law. And, and this has created a new market for energy efficient electronic devices. Even the Chinese companies who want to operate in Europe must um, fulfill our requirements. So it, this has become basically a global law. And, uh, and we just, the Commission calculated a couple of years ago that alone this uh, regulation has saved energy as much as what is Italy's annual consumption. So by doing this kind of um, regulations, um, we can enable new business models arise and more sustainable products to come to our market. And this is not easy task because um, there's always a risk of sub-optimization in the legislation, or then there's a risk that we don't, uh, we just ban or give stick in order uh, instead of uh, create incentives. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Kapan. And uh, it's always nice to see your examples for these questions. Uh, next, we have a question from audience, uh, Rao Sakansa. You can ask it next. Can you hear me well? Yes. Yes, okay, so that's perfect. Uh, I had written my question in the chat, but I figured it was very long, like the Bible, so better ask <laughs> with the microphone. Um, so I was thinking, thank you for your presentation in the first place. I think it was very clear. And when you were talking about wicked problems and how they are complex to solve, I was thinking that there is this kind of battle of narratives going on in society about what would be the optimal solution for these wicked problems, for example, climate change. And then when you were mentioning about the coupling, this is an example, a clear example of this battle of narratives because um, some countries, they have achieved relative decoupling, but others argue that it's based on externalization of environmental and social harm to other parts of the world or to unbalanced distribution of power and wealth and of course colonization too. So I was just thinking that uh, even the growth is not a recession, it's more a planned and controlled process. So this is just an example that illustrates that uh, with solutions there are always multiple views. And here it comes my question that uh, thinking about this, how do you think these battles of narratives, they affect Citra's work? How do you see that Citra as a public institution that needs to conciliate these different worldviews and narratives, integrate this to its decision-making, its strategy, its decisions on policies and decisions for investment? And um, how do you ensure this principle of neutrality is respected? Because after all, you're not 
investing with um you're not a private investor or an angel investor or you're not shareholders but you are public public uh, body submitted to the parliament so how do you integrate these different uh solutions into the into the pathways of um your strategy in citra I guess this was my question. <laughs> Many questions inside one question. But thank you very much for the presentation and for the opportunity for this. Thank you very much. First, about the role of Citra. Um, we are free in our activities. So we are not, we are accountable to the Parliament of Finland. But for instance, just a couple of months ago, the, the Economic Committee of the Parliament, which uh, gave their report on our annual report said that Citra's role is to be uh, think to and connect tank which uh, challenge the existing thinking and sometimes it may mean uh, that it raises criticism from some part of the society but uh, it's our duty so I would put it other way around uh, or uh, say the same thing differently so that our duty is not to raise criticism or or uh, or make big headlines but our duty is to question the status quo and try to find solutions not only thinking but but solutions uh, which could um, could address the biggest uh, biggest uh, challenges we are not impartial in a sense that we don't we, we doesn't need to be and we doesn't want to be neutral for instance uh, we believe that climate change is a severe uh, problem also uh, also um, uh, biodiversity loss is a significant problem so we have we have our opinion on that in the same way, we believe that if there is no economic growth, which is sustainable, we are in deep uh, trouble. So, um, having said this, we try to consolidate different views, but we, but our primary aim is not to to please everybody. Um, but but it's it's very important to see a big picture because we have. Um, Citra has a luxury to concentrate on long-term megatrends and short-term experimentations at the same time. So, for instance, uh, combining climate action to biodiversity policies and and, uh, uh, and and modernizing the market economy, it's something which is not that often. Uh, done or thought uh, by those who are doing actual political decision making. So I don't know if I answered to your question, but uh, but but um, um, we we try to be disruptive sometimes and offer a new way of thinking and and. And apart from this, we, we do experimentations, we test whether the thinking is uh, workable, whether it, 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 it uh, addresses the problem it is being created. Yeah, 
thank you. Thank you for your answer and question. Then next question is from the chat as well. And it's a little bit continues with this topic about who, who, do you, who can you please? And uh, it goes like, uh, what do you think is the biggest obstacle in making rational decisions and implementing useful policy solutions concerning a sustainable future? Are the reasons different in politics and business? What role does ideology play? It is a very wide question. Many, many different ways to answer. I try to elaborate it from, from some angle. So, first of all, it's not necessarily different between private sector or between companies and, and politicians or public sector players. Depends on the person or depends on the company very much. But for instance, if, if you look at Business, business Finland, the, in the organization or confederation of Finnish businesses, they have publicly said, and this is, I guess, in their strategy, that they uh, want to change Finnish business and influence the European businesses to become more sustainable because uh, climate change is a threat to the societies and to, to business. So they have voted already. So the Finnish industry, industrial organization says that, that climate change is a problem to the societies and to their business. And that's why they, they have to react. So, so this I see as a uh, sincere assessment of the, of the problem. Then they have other motivating areas like uh, increasing consumer demand for more sustainable products or more sustainable behavior of the companies. So they once they live in in the market situation, they must uh, please the clients. And this is one of the driving forces. And that, that is, by the way, the reason why I believe the power of the market so much. Because um, if we can combine uh, zero carbon industrial production and consumer demand, it means that we have jobs economy is growing, but it's not emitting more. Some may think that is wishful thinking that uh, it's a big fish, which is worth fishing. Then when, when it comes to the politicians, there, um, of course, the values and the ideologies uh, has, has a big role. And also the level of understanding varies a lot. I don't want to mock politicians of not understanding, but sometimes, um, for instance, I don't understand why somebody is not uh, attracted by uh, attracted by the idea that circular economy can save the world. Uh, I've been a politician, and I I find this a, a really attractive way of thinking, and 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 especially in the European Commission, when it was one of my main jobs. 
it was so fascinating, so so encouraging to say to think that I can I can change I can make a systemic change to to combine uh, economic growth and and climate action. So there are also also ideological reasons, uh, and what is what is uh, very negative today is that climate policy as well as other some other policy areas have become a part of identity policy so people identify themselves to certain type of of uh, of um, uh, group of people saying that i i look like this i live here uh, i'm denialist uh, I, I I want to build wall around my my neighborhood, etc. So, so and and once something becomes part of the identity politics, then it's very difficult to deal with the facts, because uh, if your identity is based on certain uh, belief or certain character, if somebody tries to take part of your character characteristics away, it hurts. And it's a part of this post-truth type of thinking, where alternative facts are replacing scientific facts. Absolutely. Okay, then we have now our last question, and it's from the chat as well. And uh, we have some international audience here as well, so I think this will be interesting at least for them. So, you know that immigration of foreign citizens towards Finland is different name is a big concern for the inclusion of them with the society. As you are working in Citra as a think tank for creating systemic change, focusing sustainable issues for building future Finland, you should have a systemic plan regarding incorporation of immigrants. In this consideration, consideration what are the initiatives are you taking or thinking for the immigrants for the inclusive sustainable development in future mm. yeah, that's that's very good point and important question um, uh, currently we don't have any work streams on on this area incorporation of uh, of uh, foreign citizens. Um, I'm not sure if we will have, but it doesn't mean that it wouldn't be important question. Citra is very strategy oriented think tank, meaning that we do only projects which uh, fits to our strategy. And currently we have three focused areas. The first one is democracy and participation or engagement if you like. The second one is sustainability solutions where we are uh, where we are uh, doing projects uh, which uh, are linked to biodiversity and market economy. And third, we have da fair data economy. So this, um, this question does not naturally fit to any of these. The, the closest theme to which it could be incorporated is the democracy and, and engagement. Actually, we have had, uh, I'm sure if it's still running, 
we have had some democracy projects around the country which have concentrated on uh, foreign citizens um, participation to our society uh, the aim has been to help um, foreign people who have moved to Finland to understand better how our society functions and, and how they can influence and what, for instance, municipality councils are doing, etc. So we have been involved in this kind of projects. But um, if putting this to more generic environment or context, I very much agree with you because um, the country which uh, manage, which manages to integrate foreign people the best will uh, benefit a lot in terms of uh, employment, in terms of stability, in terms of well-being. And Finland absolutely needs more um, uh, immigrants. We need people to work because our own population is shrinking. It's a biological fact, not an opinion. And, and uh, we have to let people to come. And then from the other angle, we are we, we as a human beings, we are irresponsible of those who are suffering for whatever the reasons. Of course, one country cannot take more than what, what is sustainable, for instance, refugees, but the limits are not close close yet in, in our case. So if there are wars or other uh, misery situations in, in some part of the world, we have to, to bring help as a human being. Yeah, thank you. And uh, thank you, Mr. Katanen, for all the answers. Uh, now we have asked all the, um, well, not all the questions. Now I will give the floor to Pauli to summarize our lecture. Yeah, and um, thank you. And before wrapping things up, I would like to ask uh, one more general question. Um, as you're an uh, alumnus of Tampere University, and as we are students of Tampere University, we would like to know what would you highlight from your university studies in Tampere? For example, what were your best memories and what advice could you give to students who aspire to be in leadership positions in the future? Hmm. Yeah, I I only have positive memories, as you can imagine. So I like Tampere as a city, but our student uh, community was very close. Uh, I was studying uh, political sciences there, and a little bit uh, public administration. And um, Ilta Koulu was uh, my my community there, so. So, I mean, it, being a part of Iltakoulu, and I'm sure it's the same with other student organizations, it's kind of a family uh, to which uh, when you belong to it, you are never alone. And um, it was also a community which helped to, to prepare for the exams and, and to share views on the, on the, on the, uh, studies. So um, it, it is great time. And uh, what I would would suggest, I don't, I don't know what other exchange figures nowadays, but um, I just think that there is more or less 
place, I mean, student explains for all of you available. It would be a sin if you wouldn't use it. So I really encourage you to go abroad for 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 exchange year. I did it. I went to Leicester University in UK. Um, I must say that it changed my life almost entirely. It was the first time abroad alone. My family wouldn't couldn't have afford to send me abroad to study unless. Um, unless uh, I hadn't got the crown from, from Erasmus Plus. Unfortunately, this is not possible any for, for, for UK, but there are plenty of other countries uh, which Erasmus Plus covers. So it changed my life in many terms. And I'm pretty sure that I wouldn't have had a chance to experience what I, can, what I have done through without this exchange years, and it's only positive. So please use this opportunity. Go abroad for a while and come back because it's a huge investment to yourself. You are always richer when you come back than, than, than without this experience. So, so use, use the liberty which you have and freedom which you have when you are a student. Thank you very much for the great advice and I can surely say that the student's organization life is still as vivid as it must have been back then. But um, now we would like to give a big thank you to you, Mr. Katainen, for finding the time to participate in our LFC lecture. And thank you to the audience as well for following the lecture and joining again on Thursday, 18th of February, when Anne Larilathi, Head of Sustainability for Finnair, will join us. And until then, goodbye. Thank you. Thank you. 98.4 Radio Moreni, Tampere University, Finland.